Welcome to the DCCC Youth Podcast. This podcast is from our series on Jesus, Who Do You Say That I Am? It is its conclusion, Who Do You Say That I Am? Lord, we thank you so much for today, and we just ask that you would give me wisdom as I speak, and that um, this message would go to all of our hearts, and that you would change us today. It's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, you don't need your Bibles because I have it on the top there. We're talking from Revelation 3:15 through 20. Does anyone know who is being written to right here? John. That he wrote it. Oh. Who is being written to in 3:15 through 20? For the candy car. Peter, oh, Peter, Matthew, Matthew Luke, Luke, John. A group of people. A group of people. Apostles. No. The yeah. If you just if you had a Bible, you could open it up to it, and it would say the letter to Laodicea. Uh, the Laodiceans. I got it. Fun to say. It says I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the either one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, neither cold, hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So we have um, been in this Jesus series for a lot longer than I planned on originally. And to tell you the truth, I haven't been like really, really happy with exactly how it's gone. But hopefully you learned some things. But the thing that, and we cleared up some things, but the biggest thing that I want to do is not make this about information. Um... I want this to be about action for you guys, and that's what this is kind of about. Um, So this is a letter to Laodicea. If you were to say, reading this passage, are the people in Laodicea Christians or not? Based on what he says. Why? Because they are lukewarm. (laughs) Okay. Any other thoughts? Anyone against the grain? That you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. Christians. You think they're Christians, Melody? Why? Because, I mean, even though it says all these, like, negative things, like, we, like, we're really one, and we're all these things, and he says that the ones he loves, he rebukes and disciplines. Good. Ina? Um, I think they're, like, in between, because they feel like we are. So, basically, like, they, they think that maybe, like, they think they're Christians, but, like, what they're doing, like, they don't, like, define them as Christians. Very good answer as well. Um, actually, it relates very, very closely to my sermon today when I said that um, children of God do bear fruit, but it is not what makes us Christians. Our actions are not what makes us Christians. Grace is what makes us children of God. It is not our works. It's what Jesus has done for us. So, actually, probably, I really liked your answer, Melody, and it's very true, and changing Ina's just a little bit, I think would be really, really accurate. It seems like they're Christians who are not showing fruit, is what he's talking about. He says, you're lukewarm. He doesn't say that you are cut off from salvation and all this stuff. And I really liked your answer because you went right to the verses and it says that, you know, those I, whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So it 
seems like they are Christians, um, but they're not showing fruit. They're not either cold or hot. So this is where the interesting part is. My first question, what does it mean that they're neither cold nor hot in this passage, do you think? Yeah, what does that mean? Uh, what's he saying by that? Thank you for using a lot of synonyms, Jesse. It's your only defense in a room full of girls. That's pretty good, thank you. I might, I might use that next time. Okay. It's not my fault. Um, anyone else? What does it mean you're neither cold nor hot? What's he saying? <laughs> well, I want, I want to clear up something here. What is he saying? What does cold mean and what does hot mean? When he's saying. Oh, yes, one of the I'm so glad you said that because you're my example. <laughs> Sorry, Amanda. Uh, the, it's the reason I put the question on there because it is maybe a little, I feel like it's a little bit unclear because I don't, I, I'm not going to say I don't think. I know what he's saying in this passage is not, I wish that you either hated God or loved God. Um, he's not saying that because he's, he's exhorting, oh, the nice Christian word, he's encouraging people who are Christians already. He's not saying, I wish you either hated God or loved God. Um, what? Ooh. That kind of seems to be happening a lot lately. Um, That's because they're magical. Now, Laodicea was an interesting place. You guys take world history or some kind of history, not U.S. history? No. You know what an aqueduct is? Yeah. Or an aqueduct? What is it? Someone tell me what an aqueduct is. It was Rome, and it did what? Yeah, it was like so. It was like pre-plumbing, kind of. They they had these big reservoirs outside of Rome and other places, and they used these big stone things. And if you see it, it kind of looks like a pipeline without the top a little bit. Sometimes it depends, but it piped water there to Rome, and also it happened that it piped water to Laodicea. Now, what happened is these would be like cool, refreshing mountain springs. But what happens by the time we got there? What happens to our water by the time it goes through our pipes and stuff? If we did not have electricity, what temperature would it be? Ooh. It would be... Well, it depends on the outside. It depends on the outside. <laughs> Let's say it's a balmy mid-70s spring day. The, the water will be foamy. Exactly. We have, we have nice electricity to make it cold and hot for us. Um, but this is the problem with aqueducts. I don't know if you ever talked about this in history. By the time we got there, if you just drank water from the aqueduct, it was nasty. I mean, unless you're Chinese and you like lukewarm water. <laughs> but, yeah, hot water. It's really good for your throat. I've been drinking a lot of lukewarm water. Yeah, that was a big shocker for me. That was like... This, is, this relates so well. I got to China, and I get, I'm get i like, yeah, I like a bottle of water, and I drink it, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's like totally lukewarm. And you, you'd rather have it hot or cold, probably. You know, yeah. if your throat hurts, you want it hot or whatever. And you generally, you want it cold. That's what it's saying here. There were these aqueducts, aqueducts that went to Laodicea, and by the time it got there, the water was lukewarm. And this is what he's saying. He's using an example from their everyday lives, because... They, they worked with these, they drank from these every day. And so he's saying, I wish you were either cold or hot because water, it's either good, cold, or hot. When it's lukewarm, I just want to spit it out of my mouth. So he's not saying, just hate God or love God. Like, he's using an example from their daily lives to say, you know the water that you don't like because it's nasty and not cold or hot? Don't be that way. 
I want you to be something that's good because I want to spit you out of my mouth. So um, that would be, you know, what does it mean to be either cold or hot? I just wanted to clear up that it's not saying, like, I want you to hate God. I want you to be cold, you know? Um, so I just wanted to clear that up. And there's some really also interesting things, if you read the history behind this. Um, Laodicea was known for... Hello. Hi, Greg. Sorry for interrupting. It's okay. Would you mind, after this, I have a time to talk to you about the Friday party? Sure. Uh, we have a parents' meeting. Uh, during lunch too, but after this we can talk quick. Oh yeah, maybe we can talk during the parent meeting. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I forgot my daughter is here. Hi, Melody. Really, I totally forgot. Today is really extremely hard. It is quite tasty. <laughs> <crazy. laughs> Bye, Melody. Bye, pretty girl. Pretty girl. <laughs> Because <laughs> 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 it is hot. Okay. Anyway, so Laodicea uh, was known for some things. Number one is gold. Number two, any guesses what number two they were known for? They were known for gold. God and glory. Wait, wait, what's the White clothes. White clothes. White clothes, they were known for linens and stuff to put on your eyes. Yeah, so this is this great knowing history behind some things because they were known, they were really famous for three things. They had those aqueducts, but they had gold there, and they were famous for it. They made a lot of clothing, linens, and they also made um, eye salve to help people cure eye problems. So when he's writing, when Jesus is talking to them and John is writing this down, he says, um, I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. So, right before this, they say, um, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. They were pretty rich there. And so, what? <laughs> they, uh, they were pretty rich there. And so he's saying, you say you have all this stuff, but I want you to know, even though you have, you known for these things, I want you to realize that those things are nothing. You need to get those things from me because you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He says that to them. Um, so what does Jesus say about the things we have? Uh, I think I'm especially looking at, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing because I think a lot of people in America kind of have that attitude today. Maybe not, but what does he say to them about the things that they have? They're nothing, right. What does he say is really important? God, Jesus, get those things from me, basically, you know. I'm offering you a free gift. Get those things from me. He's the only one, so my answer, I put, the things that we think are good are worthless a lot of times. He's the only one who can offer grace and salvation. So, what does Jesus invite them slash us to do? Read the verses. What does he invite us to do? So be earnest and repent. Keep going. Here I am. I see at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice to let him into your heart. Oh, be saved. Uh, see, that's a, one of the reasons I asked that question because we've already kind of decided that these are Christians. So what does it mean? Jesus is standing at the door and not knocking, waiting to come in. Think about what we said before. What's the problem here? Why are they getting this letter written to them? Oh, oh because they... 
Yeah. So the urn is. They are one word. It starts with L. Lukewarm. Yeah, they're lukewarm. So he's not offering necessary salvation to them. He's saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Why is he even not in their hearts in the first place? Because they're lukewarm. They don't really care. Um, And he's saying, you know, counseling them to take all these things from him and stuff. And then he says, last and most, I think, emotionally, I'm standing at the door of your heart and knocking. And all you have to do is let me in. And that's what he's asking. So... This is the question that we're coming to today. We've been doing this series, Who Do You Say That I Am? And this comes from, Jesus asked this to his disciples, and um, he says, who do people say that I am? And someone say, you know, some say you're a prophet, some people say you're the devil, and then Peter says, but I say that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then, um, and then Jesus says, good for you, Peter, you got the answer right, that's who I am. But the question is, who do you say he is? We've been talking about, you know, we talked about miracles, we talked about Jesus' mission, prophecies about him. But ultimately, I can push all kinds of information into your head, talk to you about misconceptions about Jesus and whatever, all day long, and we have done it for a while. But uh, ultimately, you need to make a decision. Just like his original question, the disciples are like, well, some people say you're a prophet, and some people say you're the devil. You know, if they just stopped there, that would have been really bad. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you decide that I am? And that's what this is about. So what does Jesus invite us to do? I said, my exact answer, make a choice instead of just leaving him knocking. And uh, I have a nice little illustration here. Jesus is not a signpost on a road, but a fork in the road. Your decision about Jesus is not just something that says, oh, you're 20 miles from heaven, you know? It's a fork in the road. You have to make a decision. It's not just marking the road saying, oh, here's Jesus. Just keep going on your path. Jesus, this decision about Jesus is a fork in the road. You choose the left or the right. You guys seen Beauty and the Beast, the uh, Disney version? Yeah, there's the non-Disney version. Yeah, there's lots of versions. But um, I use this for, like, everything because I love this scene. You know where Belle's father is trying to decide which way to go? He's riding on the horse. He looks one way and all the trees are dead. And it's like dark and there's mist going across. And then the other way is uh, all happy and flower and there's like butterflies going past. Um, And he's like, turns to go down the dumb way. The horse is like, no, what are you doing? Um, This is is the kind of fork that I'm talking about. Like, you need to make a decision and say, I'm going to go this way or this way. Um, And again, I'm just saying, Jesus is a fork in the road. I, I just always think of that whenever I think of forks in the road. Um, and this is something we brought up before in a previous series, but I wanted to bring it up again. Who is Jesus? And there have been four main things that people have said about him, and I would encourage you that you you probably don't have many other choices than this. Um, Number one, he's a liar. He wasn't who he said he was. He knew he wasn't God, but he told everyone who was anyway. Um, You can just kind of fill in what these mean. That's why I give place there. A liar. He wasn't who he said he was. A lunatic really did think he was God, but he wasn't. He was crazy. A legend? He didn't exist. People just made him up, and there really wasn't actually a Jesus. It's just kind of a good story. And Lord. And I'm going to encourage you to say that um, this changes everything. That's all I have there. Lord, this changes everything. He was who he said he was. And if that's true, it changes everything. 
And uh, the reason I encourage you to think about these is because I think a lot of people are kind of like, oh, he was a good teacher. And, you know, I hear, I've heard this so much, like, honestly from people. He was a good guy. He's a good teacher. And he said a lot of good things. Um, and it's good to follow the things that he said. But honestly, if you look at what he said, he said he was God. So he's got to be one of these. Either he's a liar, to, liar, a lunatic, someone just made him up, or he was who he said he was. You probably don't want to trust someone <laughs> like... Yeah, he may have said good things, but if he said he was God, it's kind of a problem, you know? Like, uh, we probably wouldn't trust someone who said they were God. He's like, oh, by the way, I said all these good things, and I'm God, so listen to me. We'd be like, uh, okay. Um, and so if he is a liar, it's not good to trust him. If he's a lunatic, obviously, could have said some other crazy things. Legend doesn't even really matter. Like, might as well be Aesop's fables. Um, Sasquatch. Sasquatch? Yeah, but they don't have morals. You know what I'm saying? I mean, kind of like a, a fable kind of legend, you know? Like, someone made him up and he's a good guy. You may as well just read Aesop's fables and be done with it. <laughs> or, Lord, this changes everything. It's been said before. I think C.S. Lewis wrote this somewhere. I can never remember because I can't find the book that it's actually in, but I think it was him. Um, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, then it doesn't really matter at all. Like, it doesn't matter what you think about him, what you decide about him doesn't matter at all. But if he was who he said he was, it matters more than anything in the entire world. Um, and this is why I can't, you know, I've met so many people in my life, and for a l- large part of my life I was kind of this way. It was just like, whatever. Um, it doesn't really matter. But seriously, like, if you really think about it, like, if he's not, it doesn't matter. But if he is, this is the decision. This is the decision that you make in life. And it's not the kind of thing that you can just be like, oh, whatever, later, or it doesn't, you know. This is a big deal. This is the deal. Um, and I also want to encourage you, ultimately, without Christ, without Jesus, Christianity is meaningless. Um, if he was uh, what he said, I'm uh, oh, sorry, you might as well stop pretending about being a moral person, because I've heard this too, like, oh, I think Christianity is a good thing. Well, that, that's, that can be very true. A lot of Christians are nice people. Um, and a lot of Christians are jerks, too. But um, if, if you're taking Jesus out of it and you don't really care about who he is, you might as well, honestly, be a Buddhist, an atheist. It doesn't really matter. You can be a moral person and not be a Christian. Um, so just taking Christ, to take Jesus out of this, you're making Christianity what sets it apart, what the message of it really is. It's, it's nothing. like Because... Without Jesus, Christianity is just being a good person. With Jesus, it's absolutely the opposite. It's not about being a good person. It's about the fact that you can't be a good person. And he gives you his love anyway. Um, It's not about being moral. And again, going back to what I said today, it's not about being moral. It's not about showing this fruit and saying, hey, look, everyone, I'm a good Christian. It's about knowing him. That's what it's about. It's about doing those things because you rejoice in him and you love him. Also, Jesus said some really weird things that, uh, to make a decision about him, unless you really believe who he is, there's some stuff we don't usually talk about. He says, uh, I didn't come to bring peace, but bring a sword. And he also says, I didn't come to bring families together, but to tear them apart, um, brother against brother. And you see this happen sometimes, um, with, especially in Muslim culture, where people, like, actually, like, kill each other over this, uh, this decision is such a big deal. It's not just like, oh, I'm a Christian now, the end. You know, this is, this is a huge deal. Here's this guy, um, 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a pretty famous guy. Anyone ever heard of him? He was German. Uh, his claim to fame in the non-Christian world was that he was a pastor and he was a member of this group of people who tried to assassinate Hitler. Um, and he wrote a big book about his... Well, not, not, not the Valkyrie thing. He wasn't part of that group. <laughs> not the Valkyrie. Not the Valkyrie. That was new. Yeah, new. It was Brad Pitt. You're like, yeah, and they're trying to assassinate him. I just don't watch it because Brad Pitt's in it. Anyway, that's a Valkyrie is a good movie, but he, it's about his decision because obviously he's a Christian. He doesn't think he should murder people and stuff. And anyway, so he's kind of actually famous in the non-Christian world for that. But um, he wrote this really, really famous book called The Cost of Discipleship. Big book, but it is like one of the best. Basically just talking about this whole issue. And I would encourage you to read it. Um, he's a really interesting guy. He spent like a long time in prison in the dark for like 14 years and uh, yeah it was pretty bad and he wrote lots of poetry and stuff he was a really interesting guy but he wrote this great book and I would encourage you guys to read it Um, it's not an easy book but it's a really good book about this whole issue like who are we and what does that mean about how we act and basically saying again Jesus is not just a signpost he's a fork in the road and you've got to make a decision about this and that's my encouragement to you today is to make a decision about this don't be like the Laodiceans. He says, you know what? You guys say that you're Christians, and we even, you know, I think we can say they are Christian, but I want to spit you out of my mouth because you just don't even care. You just go on with your lives. You say, I'm rich. I don't need anything. Um, I'm successful. I have all these things, but you need to get those things from me. And just remember that, you know, you say you know me, but I'm standing at the door and knocking, and I want to have a relationship with you. Just open the door. So that's my encouragement for you to decide today or this week or whenever. Take this seriously and and say, you know what, I'm not going to be this way anymore. I'm not just going to be whatever about this because this is important. And if I say I'm a Christian, is Jesus, is he having a relationship with me? Do I know him or is he standing outside my heart and knocking, waiting for me to open the door? And that's my encouragement for you today. What are the three greatest, greatest tragedies in life? Um, this was actually from a series when I was a freshman in high school I wasn't a Christian uh, but my parents still made me go to youth group anyway <laughs> and uh, they, there was this really long series we had this youth leader guy who he did do like two like a two year series on the life of David like it was always like super long and he'd spend like a half hour reviewing what we talked about and then five minutes talking about new stuff but um, we were in this series for like forever and it was the, the greatest tragedies in life and we talked about them and I realized one day this is like honestly a turning point in my life like I'd gone through a summer before this where I really was pressed to, to make this decision about God because I, I didn't believe in God I was an atheist and I was just like you know whatever it doesn't matter because I was doing a lot of things that I felt guilty about and I was like if there's no God I don't have to feel guilty right um, so I just kind of pushed it aside but I had been forced by just meeting some people who really lived out their faith and stuff like that to think about this a lot. And then I came to youth group, and it was like the closing week of this. And I realized that I was all of these things. I had three, the three greatest tragedies. And number one is missing God. Missing God. Number two is living a lie. Number three is having a hard heart. 
So I just kind of brought this back in because for me, this was honestly a turning point. Like I, I had, I think, you know, accepted Jesus into my heart at this point. I was really struggling. And some of you know, because I've talked about this before, I just didn't have any friends. And it was really hard for me because of this change in my life. And I got to the point where I was like, you know what, I really, I was all these things and I need help. So I talked to um, our new youth pastor. He was just like phasing in. And he helped me so much in this. But um, number one, you know, missing God, this is the greatest tragedy in life. You don't know Jesus. You just don't know. You know, just, just going through life, you don't know him. And I was like, that's definitely me. Number two, living a lie. Now, this can be a couple things. For me, it was like kind of acting like a Christian, but knowing really that I wasn't. Um, and just kind of lying to my parents about it because I wanted, didn't want to make them mad at me or anything like that. I think this can also just be um, you're trying to be good, you're trying to be a good person, but ultimately inside you know that you're not. Um, and I think that really is a lot of us. Um, if we, we don't talk about it, but I, you know, I think everyone in their life at some time at least once feels that way. You're like, I just, you put on this face for people, um, but you know ultimately inside you're not as good as you want to be or as good as you should be. And number three, having a hard heart. You just, you can't accept this stuff. Like, you've, you've made your decisions, um, and nothing nothing moves you. Like, your heart is like a rock. Um, no matter how many times you hear it, it just kind of bounces off. So what can you do about this? You know, I, I'm really saying make a decision and stuff, and I'm not really, like, one of those altar call kind of people. I'm like, come accept Jesus now, and I'll play a, an emotional song and all this stuff. Because I don't think a lot of times that stuff sticks. But what can you do about this if you think that you're struggling with this stuff? Number one, just pray to God. And I would always encourage my students in China, um, and this happened several times, uh, not necessarily just with me, but with our people in our group, because we always encourage people. They would say, well, how do I know that there's a God? Because uh, especially students in China just have been rammed into their head their entire life that there's no God. Um, and they say, well, how can I know? How can I really know? And, and ultimately, we could, we could give them all the proof that we wanted and say all this stuff. We would just say, you know what? This has to be you. Pray to God and ask him to show himself to you. Ask him to reveal himself. And just keep praying. And, you know, maybe sometimes, sometimes for some people, that is like a visible thing. Like, something happens, and that's amazing. But usually it's not. But you know when it happens. That was me. Like, I... I was really forced to make decisions and I said, God, just reveal yourself to me. If you're really there, show me. And it wasn't like, hey, Jesus, there you are. But, like, my heart changed completely. Just, like, total turnaround and I was like, you know what, I know this is true because of what has happened in my life and the relationship that I actually have with him. Not just, like, I know about God, but I know God. And... I want to read his word. I want to do all these things because I know he's there. Again, it wasn't like a visible thing. But that's what you can do about this. You know, more than anything else, I can talk to you all day about this stuff and push you to make decisions all I want. But until you make the decision to say, you know what, God, please show yourself to me. Show me what you want me to be, what you want me to do. How can I be your child? I can't do anything, you know. Um, I can't change your heart. I can't do anything. Only God can do that. And Rachel, I pray for you guys all the time, but um, I, that's my encouragement to you today. If you feel like you're any of those three things, um, just just pray to God and ask for help and ask that he would give it to you. And um, again, 
this is all about this whole series and, and us even being here. It's just about who do you say he is? You can't just go through life saying, I don't really care about this. This is the decision. Um, and so that's all I really have for today. We'll pray. And I have just a couple quick announcements. And we can Lord, thank you for today, for this day that we can come and worship you freely. And Lord, we know that um, a lot of people around the world don't have the freedom to meet like we do. And we just ask that you would be with them in a powerful way, that you would um, show them your grace and your mercy and your protection. And we just ask that you would uh, help us put it in our hearts to see how serious this is, to make decisions about you and live in light of those decisions, to be your children and to act like your children because we love you and because we want to please you, not because we think we can earn your love, because we know, Lord, that we can't. That much is so clear to us that we can't be good enough to be your children, but you adopt us anyway. It says that we're your sons and daughters. We're heirs to your inheritance. And we just thank you so much for that. And we just ask um, if anyone is here and doesn't know you, that you would reveal yourself to them. And for those that do, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that we would know you, we would see you in your word and have a real relationship with you, not just know about you, but know you personally. And Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace that makes this all possible, for your sacrifice, for what you did so that we can have a relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.